views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. this broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio on this Thursday night. Uh, today's date is October the 3rd, 2019. Look, we only got a few more months left in 2019. As I have uh, often uh, said to people, when you have grandchildren, it just seems like the years fly by. So I don't think we've ever done a live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio on a Thursday night. But the reason that I'm broadcasting on this Thursday night is we suspended the live broadcast on Wednesday nights. Uh was having... I don't want to really uh, label it as issues with the other co-hosts, but let's just say that they had some things going on that they were not able to consistently uh, be a part of the broadcast. And since I'm a one-man army in terms of the Black Talk Media Project and a lot of the behind-the-scenes operation of Black Talk Radio Network, and by the way, I'm Scotty, of course, Scotty Reed, the creator of the Black Talk Radio Network and this award-winning broadcast and podcast, New Abolitionist Radio. So I had to suspend it because I'm only one person. And so I just decided that I would do podcasts and, and put out podcasts um, related to what I do on Black Talk Radio News, which is a separate uh, podcast, but um, also New Abolitionist Radio when we're focusing on issues related to 21st century slavery and human trafficking. So if you're one of those who were a regular listener and, and you're wondering why we haven't been coming on on Wednesday nights, I did mention this on a podcast I did. Um, and so I'm just, you know, maybe people missed that podcast and that's why I'm uh, letting people know tonight. Um, tonight's broadcast, I'm doing this live broadcast, which I meant to do yesterday, but a family uh, member needed my assistance in some stuff and I wasn't able to do the broadcast and finish, you know, my research and getting my articles together, my sources together, which I always like to do, um, you know, before coming on air or doing a podcast. So um, I had to put it off until this evening. So here I am. And tonight's broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio is titled Race, Racism, Dallas Police Department, and Amber Geiger versus Justice. 
Um, in case you haven't heard the news, former Dallas police officer, a.k.a. slave catcher Amber Geiger, is a convicted murderer now. And she was sentenced, I believe that was yesterday, to 10 years in prison. Now, while most have been distracted by public spectacles of forgiveness by both of Jean's little brother in the moment of emotionality and grief, there are some serious issues connected to this case. And it's apparent to me that the Dallas Police Department has a history of harboring racists and violent slave catchers. Um, I would argue that the actions of some of the black cops connected to the case, including the black police chief um, and the black deputy. I don't know if y'all saw that. I pointed it out on social media yesterday. Um, I saw I was watching, you know, the trial being streamed on YouTube and what have you. I didn't watch it from start to finish. But every day I was checking in to see what was going on. And of course, I was going to watch the verdict uh, portion of the murder trial. And after the jury came back with a guilty verdict on murder, um, which was the, which was an appropriate trial, then we argue all day long about the 10-year prison sentence she got. I thought she should have got the max considering her lying um, and being caught in those lies and, and giving, you know, her racist text messages and what have you. I, if I was on that jury, I would have been arguing for the max. And I'm I'm almost sure that there were people who were arguing for more time. Um, the prosecutor was actually asking for 28 years. Uh, she could have got a max of 100 years, uh, actually. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to argue about that sentence or, or what have you. It is what it is. But it really stood out to me when that black deputy, sheriff's deputy, because those are also the bailiffs, um, in the courtroom, and after the guilty verdict was read, here we see this black female deputy stroking Amber Geiger's hair like she was some kind of puppy or something and trying to comfort her after that guilty verdict was read. Um, I thought the prosecution did a good job, and it just seems weird for me to be, you know, um, uh, making positive comments about the prosecution, but I thought the prosecution did a good job in proving their case and exposing this woman to be a cold, callous, heartless killer, okay? And and so, I mean, it just feels weird to be heaping any kind of praise on on prosecutors in, in this country, but, you know, you, you have to be honest, you have to be truthful. I thought they did a good job, and it resulted in a guilty conviction on a murder charge, not a lesser conviction of manslaughter or or what was some of the other charges they could have um lesser charges they could have given her negligent homicide um no they they found her guilty on the murder charge that the um grand jury um um asked for or actually indicted her on um, because the prosecutor was only looking at the initial start of the case when they decided to file charges. They were only looking for manslaughter charges, and the jury looked at the evidence and said, no, no, this warrants a murder charge. And that's how she got the murder charge, and the prosecution did a good job in attaining um, that conviction. But, you know, given... The non-white people involved, look, you had black cops involved, the black Texas Ranger that was on there saying that she didn't uh, commit a crime, even though she went up in both of them, John's 
apartment with a big red mat right in front of the door um, and, and, and killed this man, possibly while he was either still seated, seated on the couch eating his bowl of ice cream, as has been reported, or he was getting down on his knees after being startled by her and, and you know, look, I'm unarmed, I'm, I'm going down, and she shot him anyway. Um, I mean, there was a lot of issues in this case. You had the junk science, the pseudoscience, uh, that the defense uh, brought in one of their expert witnesses to give what would normally be considered hearsay testimony in the case. And but I, one of the things I learned, hey, if you want to get testimony, uh, favorable testimony about the facts from a person who wasn't even there um, and allow them to speculate on what was going through another individual's mind. Hey, just give them that expert label and you can come in and you can present hearsay evidence in addition to the junk science about the path of bullets and, and what have you. Um, but given the number of black cops involved in this, the number of Hispanic cops, and we'll just say, you know, nine white to cover both of them, um, and considering the white cops' uh, action in this, I mean, it, it just, it really says to me, this isn't, although racism is a big part of it in terms of what her motivation may have been, and again, they show her racist text messages and what have you, but this isn't a cut and dry black versus white case. This isn't black people versus white supremacists or anything. This is about justice versus injustice. Because as uh, Mr. Neely Fuller said, the counter-racist author, when he, you know, I'm, and I'm going to play the clip, he declared that skin color doesn't mean a thing when it comes to practicing justice or injustice. You can be any color and mistreat people. You can be any color and try to practice justice. So, it, you know, that doesn't matter. Um, but there's racism involved here and it isn't on just the part of the mistreatment of this black victim and in the enabling of these racist cops. You got a black police chief who I really want to put under the microscope um, tonight. Um, so how would I start this off? OK, so just to put you in the mind frame of where I will be coming from. I will be talking about racism, but for me, this is more about justice versus injustice, okay? This is more about justice versus injustice, because I thought a lot of non-white people involved in this case were on the side of injustice. All right, so this is Mr. Clip, a clip from Mr. Neely Fuller um, to put you in the mind frame of where my mind is right now in terms of this case. No, it really isn't. Because, see, people are thinking in terms of, well, they want to brag about being black, which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white, even though these are the creations of the creator. See, and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing and people immediately start taking sides it's not about taking sides based on black and white it's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice well that's what you're really aiming for being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice 
And being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice, except you mean in, you believe in non-justice. And that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are or who your cousin was or anything like that or what so-called nationality you have. Like a lot of people say that they take pride in being an Englishman or take pride in being a Frenchman or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything. And, and waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people. You've got to believe in not mistreating people, and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most. Otherwise, you don't even have any business breathing. And so that was um, uh, one of my favorite clips of Mr. Neely Fuller because he's breaking it down uh, for us. All the different colors involved, skin colors involved in this case, you can't say it's about black versus white. It's about justice versus non-justice. Either you practicing justice or you not. Either you upholding justice or you not. And it is clear that the Dallas Police Department um, is, is harboring a whole bunch of people, including non-white people that do not believe in justice. And it all starts at the top, as we're always told, it starts at the top. And it starts with the black woman who is the police chief of Dallas. And before her, they had another black police chief. I, I forget his name, but um, the current police chief, her name is Renee Hall. And we'll be getting more in depth into her later. So um, before I get into these stories and, and my sources, let me give the telephone number out if you would like to share a comment. Uh, with us on air, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. You will hear a system recording which will tell you uh, how you can ask me a question. And I do have my board up and I'll I'll try to monitor um, it um, if I don't see you and you hanging on for a while, just say, excuse me, and I will come to you. Just wait, you know, wait for an appropriate opportunity to um, let me know that you there. All right. So first thing related to the story that I want to jump to is the press conference. Um, yesterday, I, you know, this is one of the first things that I posted at the press conference from the Botham Johns family attorneys. They had a, a, a press conference and I thought some very important things came out in that press conference. And what's the sister name? She lives in Charlotte. She's a, a North Carolinian. Uh, she climbed that flagpole down there. Bree Newsom, I, I believe is her name. I know it's Bree. Um, she recently got married, but I don't know um, her married name or if that's her married name, but I saw her make a post today and she tweeted out this press conference because all everybody have been focused on in the past 48 hours is both them John's little brother in a moment of emotionality and grief. Um, after the verdict was read 
hugging on the convicted murderer of her brother, Botham John, hugging on Amber Geiger, which I'm not really going to get into that. Okay, I'm going to do something separate on that. I have been posting about it because people get it twisted and they think that all Christians uh, believe in these these outwardly displays and these public spectacles of forgiveness. Um, I'm not going to focus on that on this podcast, but that's what everybody's been focused on. And the reason everybody's focused on that, and, and not the sole reason, but the reason everybody's focused on that it's because the mainstream media's been focused on that. They really, really been pushing out, pushing that through the mainstream media, and of course, they're on social media as well. So everybody's getting blasted with that. So what what Bree Newsom said was instead of focusing on uh Botham John's little brother uh hugging this convicted murderer and what have you. Now, the judge, she didn't have no business doing that. That might be the first time in history. A black judge who was endorsed by the police union. Now we know why. But anyway, anyway, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but with that black deputy stroking her hair and that black judge giving her a hug, which was highly inappropriate, it makes me think they knew each other. That all three of them knew each other. Because police be in the courtroom, right? They be in the courtroom. Um, they might have to show up to testify in the trial of somebody, you know, whether it's traffic court or a criminal case or whatever. It would, I, I think that they possibly knew each other. It, you know, it's neither here or there, but that's just something that came across my mind because I was like, how in the hell is you on there stroking that white girl's hair trying to comfort her? You know, and, and her race ain't got nothing to do with it, except for it does have to do with it in terms of her racist text messaging. But why are you stroking on a convicted murderer's hair and what have you? Totally in, inappropriate. So I can understand why people got distracted by that. But like Bree Newsom said, what we really need to be focused on is some of the things, and she might have been talking about mainstream media. Why aren't they pushing out a bunch of articles related to what the family attorney said during the press conference. So I'm going to play the press conference. Um, Give me a second while I get to the appropriate position on the video um, because I posted the whole video from that day, that last day where the verdict was, was read. So I need to get to, where is it? One, is it 153, 45? No, that's not it. Okay, here here we go. All right, give me just a moment. Now, I'm going to start it from the beginning. Some of the stuff I felt was irrelevant, but we're going to listen to the whole, whole commentary. Case of Roy Oliver when he was sentenced for the killing of, of Jordan Edwards. They, he was sentenced to, uh, no, I'm sorry, I got my, my, my numbers mixed up. There have been cases where juries come back with, symbolic numbers that mean something like in, in the, with the prosecutor mentioned 28 mm-hmm. years what do you think the likelihood is that they'll come back with some sort of symbolic number i was kind of interested that the, the okay, prosecutor let me jump for so let's take 28 from 82 and that's what you should get uh, something that will anchor the jury and give them somewhere to start in this discussion is not uncommon um the, one of the things hold on i'm hearing somebody behind me talking about maybe the jean family is 
going to talk soon. Um, well, obviously, if that happens, we'll, we'll, we will definitely let you guys know. Um, you know, one of the things that, that was said that really stood out to me, the prosecutor said, uh, quoted his pastor saying to the defendant, he was a silhouette in a room. Um, but to anyone who knew both of them, he was the brightest light in the room. Now, that kind of spoke to me. It was, I think not only was it a nice illustration of what John Botham's, what Botham John's life was like, but also it draws that light and dark contrast. Defendant's life versus the life of Mr. John. And, and, and in an odd twist, usually the state is arguing the defendant leads a darker life and the, and the police lead a, a bright light. In this case, it's this officer who had darkness in her life and who was the darkness and Mr. Jean who was the light. Are we taking, are we taking them? Okay, we're taking the family. They're talking right now, so we'll be bringing that uh, stream here live. We're on a cut in. It'll be coming really quickly here. And Stop by the way, training police Edwards. officers Roy to use deadly force. This is not how it's so done it in this country. It shouldn't be so like easy to take someone's life. Police officers take an oath to serve and protect. And we just want to, we want with this trial, the verdict, we want this to be an opportunity that we can somehow heal. We've always said that not all police officers are bad. They're not. The great majority of police officers are good police officers. But the ones who are bad are very bad. And those are the ones that we want to take off the street. All right, I'm going to be stopping it. Okay, so you know what? I'm tired of hearing about all police officers are not bad and that the majority of them are good. How do you know what's in all these? There's almost one million cops in this country, if not over a million cops in this country. How can you qualify by acting like you know what's in their hearts? You know what's going through their minds. You know, look, all the people that get killed in this country, all the wrongful convictions of people getting out of prison that was wrongfully convicted. Then you got the number one a prison plantation population in the world of jails and prisons, and they got there because of cops. So I'm just tired of this. Uh, like we know what's in the heart of every man, woman out there who has on a uniform. Can we stop saying these sort of things? We don't know if the vast majority of them are good, bad, or indifferent. We just simply don't know. We just had to deal with what we do know. Okay, and one of the things we do know is that a whole, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but give you a preview of some of the things I'm going to talk about here in a few after this press conference. But we know that over 100 Dallas Police Department officers were in a database by the Plainview Project, which was a group of Philadelphia lawyers who put together this project and went over the social media posts of different police officers of different departments across the nation. So Dallas was one of those. They were one of those, one of those departments that got scrutinized. The cops got scrutinized. It was 109 racist violent posts that these cops put on social media. 
Now, the department has, what, 700 or, or, or so officers? Well, to me, just because all of them wasn't posting on there, we still, it's probably more than 109. Some of them were just probably smart enough not to put their racist, uh, violent tendencies on social media and let everybody know. And I don't know if Amber Geiger was also in this database. I went through the database. Um, I didn't go through all of it. I didn't have time to go through all of it. But I'm wondering, because Amber Geiger was shown to have, while she didn't make a racist post herself, she made racist comments on other posts. So maybe the Plainview Project might have missed those. I don't know. They might have missed those. But those, those were brought out in the trial. So this nonsense about the vast majority of police officers across the country is, is good and it's just a few bad ones and they're really bad. You don't know that. So stop acting like, you know, you some kind of clairvoyant and, or what, what's the guy name from uh, the X-Men, um, Professor Xavier, uh, where he can, you know, mind read everybody. Dude, you're not a mind reader. You can't look into these people's hearts, so let's stop with that propaganda, okay? And then he he mentioned de-escalation training. Now, they came in at the tail end of it, but they mentioned de-escalation training, right? She had already went through that training. That was brought out in the trial. So what does that tell you? That it doesn't matter if you get these people uh, de-escalation training, now, I don't know if she took the anti-bias training or what do they call that type of uh, unintentional bias. I all bias is intentional, okay? But they went through some kind of racial sensitivity training at the Dallas Police Department. Now, I don't know if she took that training. The only training we know she took that was mentioned in the trial was the de-escalation training and CPR. But when she was questioned on the stand about it, oh, she couldn't recall nothing from any of those classes. Nothing. So what good is giving people training if the training don't stick? Okay, so like I was saying to somebody else, I spent six years in the military. My last duty station at Fort Huachuca, I was part of the largest communications battalion in the U.S. Army. Um, during the Gulf War, we created the largest combat communication network in any war ever seen in, in history. We created that during the, Gulf, during the Gulf War. Now, one of the other things that I was a part of, I was actually in charge of the skill qualification testing of all the soldiers in our battalion. So what 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 was my what did my job in that position entail in the S3? S3 is training. Okay. So what what was my what was my job? My job was to make sure these 800 or so soldiers got knew when their upcoming annual test dates were for their MOSs, meaning their their skills, whatever their job was. I had to make sure that they knew when they were supposed to take that test ahead of time. 
um, so that they can do any last minute studying or what have you. And then at, the test results would come to me. And then I was putting those test results in a computer database, okay? Um, and so that training and those tests figured into whether or not you would get a promotion. And it also figured into whether or not we need to kick you out the military because you don't know how to do your job. This went on every year, annual testing in addition to annual training on stuff. So it is clear to me the Dallas Police Department is not giving them this training on a repetitive basis like was given to us in the military. Why do you keep repeating something over and over? So it becomes committed to your memory. It becomes what also what they call muscle memory in physical tasks and, and what have you. You know, why do we always take our weapons apart and put our weapons together and do that repeatedly? You know, it's so that we, it becomes second nature. Okay? Knowing that weapon inside and out. So repetition just, just imprints that training so that it becomes second nature. You don't forget it. She couldn't recall nothing. That tells me that these police go to a class and, oh, that that's just it. She ain't even care. She couldn't recall nothing about the de-escalation training. So why is this this man on here talking about we need de-escalation training? She had de-escalation training. Okay, what we need is regular training and testing and then kicking those people out who don't pass these tests. Okay? And it appeared to me that Amber Geiger was lazy, that she took that CRT job, that special job, because what did she say? Because I could just sit around and wait to be called. So, so much for her being tired. She had a job just sitting around in a car somewhere, who doing who knows what, probably sexting and texting and all that stuff. And then just waiting on squat to call her to go. How, how often do they call out squat? They don't call out squat that often. This woman should have been weeded out before she had a chance to kill somebody. Okay. So let me continue with this press conference. Everybody understands that this is a historic case. And history provides America with a teachable moment. And this is one such moment in America. In the case of Amber Geiger for unjustly killing an unarmed black man, Botham Jones, in his own apartment. And I listened to the defense talk about don't use this moment, this one bad moment, to judge her whole life. And I understand it clearly with my colleagues that this historical case where we believe it is the first time that a white policewoman has been convicted of first-degree murder for killing a black man in America. Ever. Ever. And so then we think about black men in America. 
I have represented and worked with dozens of black men who have been wrongfully, wrongfully convicted and have spent years in prison. And no one gave them the consideration that many people feel we should give this white policewoman for killing a black man, for committing the crime, for the jury convicting her. Well, let's use this teachable moment to think about all of those black and brown people who have been falsely accused and wrongfully convicted. And let's say America give them the equal consideration that many in America are saying give to this white policewoman, Amber Geiger. We will take your questions. One more time. We don't know. You know, the prosecutor made an argument uh, today to the, before the jury that both uh, yet yeah, this past Sunday would have been both days, Botham's 28th birthday, um, and you know that's a good start. 28 years, uh, at a minimal, in my opinion, I, I share the opinion of the prosecutor. Uh, this is a serious crime. Botham doesn't come back from this. Uh, his family's life is never the same, and so a light sentence that has her back on the streets while this family continues to deal with the weight of this tragedy would be unfair, it would be uh, objectively unfair. You know, and there's, there's just a point I, I really want to make. There's been a lot of discussion that the attorneys, uh, individuals have made this case about racism and that there's not been no evidence that have come out in this trial that would suggest that Amber Geiger killed both of them because he was black. But guys, let's just be clear. Let's be very clear. There's been a number of examples. Uh, I start here with the local Fox affiliate where a truck uh, with a, a white guy drove in to the police station, right? This guy appeared as if he was gone for a gun and he was able to walk away alive. There are a number of situations throughout this country where white guys armed have been taken in and black guys unarmed have been killed. We haven't made that narrative. It's the facts. The stats prove it that an unarmed black man does not have the same chance that an armed white man have in America. And we would like to see it totally different. And until we have these conversations and until we face the facts of it all, these cases are are going to continue to happen. And we would love to say that it's not about race and it's just strictly about training. And, but and, it's a combination. And that's another thing. Okay, I, I want to stop it there for, um, I want to interject here. There was evidence presented in the case. I don't know if he was in the courtroom at the time, but there are racist text messages. Okay, her racist text messages were brought up. And so I don't know why he's going to say it ain't about race. Now, I think the brother is going to say that if this had been a black cop, the reaction should have been the same. That he should have been put on trial or she. Again, I go back to the clip of Mr. Fuller. 
you know, while racism permeates this case in terms of her action and which I'll get to later, um, that police department being a cesspool of races, both non-white and white. Okay. But you know, um, most, most people, you're more likely if you're black to be shot by a black or Latino cop. There's been a study that, that shows that. And the reason why is because that black cops, non-white cops mainly are deployed to non-white communities. You, when we talk about big urban areas where you have a large population of black people, you'll find, you know, a lot of black cops, a lot of Latino cops, non-white cops, and what have you. And they kill. They kill us. They beat us. They they brutalize us. So, again, pointing to Mr. Fuller, it's not always about black versus white, but more about justice versus non-justice. This is about freedom versus slavery. And so, you know, again, the training, I, I'm look, these people don't care about this training. And she showed, they, she didn't give a darn about that training. She couldn't call, tell you nothing about no de-escalation training. What they need to do is come up with a screening process of getting uh, of of eliminating candidates who want to join the police because they don't have empathy for human beings. I don't care what color they are. Now, studies have shown that, you know, white people are uh, uh, less likely to be empathetic towards non-white people. That's a fact. But then again, when you look at the number of uh, brutality cases and the number of killings uh, concerning non-white cops, um, you know, then they don't have any empathy either. So like that study was saying, it's about a culture at the police departments. It's about a culture of brutal slave catchers, regardless of what their color is. And again, this department has been under black leadership for quite some time. The police chief, the previous police chief, Mr. Brown, I don't remember his first name. He was the police chief when that brother, uh, uh, a U.S. Army veteran, killed those five cops in Dallas after that Black Lives Matter uh, March, okay? And now the current head slave catcher is a black woman, okay? So uh, I just want people to stop thinking some kind of solution to the problem of slave catching in our communities and police brutality and what have you, that we need more non-white cops. Not like, non, like your melanin is going to make them more empathetic, is going to make them moral people and what have you. Melanin is not some kind of magical uh, element in your skin that's going to make you practice justice versus non-justice, okay? It's not. And we need to, and some of us, not we, but some of us need to stop pretending like that's a viable solution because the facts say something different. So let me continue with this press conference. From this historic case, going back to the ideology that history provides us an opportunity to have teachable moments. Well, hopefully the greatest teachable moment 
in the tragic killing of Botham Jones by Amber Geiger is we have to have de-escalation. It should not be to shoot first and ask questions later. It should be let's try the best we can to have conflict resolution, not with a gun, but with diplomacy. If she would have just stepped back from that door, called the radio, and considered possibilities that maybe we could end this matter not by killing the person in the room, even if it was somebody doing something nefarious, that there was a better way we could resolve this interaction. I'm sorry, uh, the pastors for both of them, Jean, have prepared a statement before we take any additional questions. I'm going to allow uh, them to read that. Uh, I'm uh, Sammy Berry, minister of the uh, Dallas West uh, Church of Christ, and uh, I also serve as the uh, chairman of the Dallas area. Dallas area preachers and church leaders. And I have a, a prepared statement that I have prepared that I'd like to read. Uh, the verdict uh, in this case is uh, exactly what we were looking for. We trust in God, and we've trusted in this, in this process. And we also accept uh, the jury's uh, verdict. In fact, the jury has done a, an outstanding job. The facts were clear. Uh, Amber Geiger uh, killed Botham John, an innocent man, without reason or provocation. Botham John didn't deserve that end. Geiger's distractions, her 911 ramblings, her remorse do not excuse her actions. The Dallas area Church of Christ preachers and church leaders take comfort uh, in the knowledge that the jurors listened to the facts and were not influenced by emotions. We continue to pray for the John family, his church family, the Dallas West Church of Christ, the people of St. Lucia, our community, and Amber Geiger and her family. We hope that uh, she will look for and find God's peace and forgiveness. In Botham's spirit and in his memory, the John family and his church family and members of the community will hold tonight, this evening, an evening of prayer. And we want to be prayerful. We encourage everyone to be prayerful. The media is, is invited as we reflect and remember uh, Botham uh, tonight, Wednesday, October the 2nd at 7 p.m. at the Dallas West Church of Christ uh, here in the city of Dallas, 3510 uh, Northampton Road, uh, 75212. Thank you. Take a couple of questions. Okay, if, if, if there are any more questions, we'll be happy to answer. Can you ask your reaction what you think about the Well, I don't think that any evidence went back. In fact, there was an objection made during the closing arguments of the prosecution. The I'm sorry, that the, that the defense made during the closing arguments of the prosecution, uh, that they didn't even argue that, that they had presented no evidence for that jury to consider sudden passion. I don't see how they come back with that. I could be wrong. 
but they, they, it would be a conclusion not based on anything presented to them. And so I don't think it will factor in. And to get to Southern Passion, uh, one of the elements that must be met is that they would have to show that Botham did something to provoke her. And, and there's no been absolutely no evidence that Botham did anything to provoke Amber Geiger. Any other questions? All right, thank you. Um, also, oh, I'm sorry. I have a question. Um, as far as the evidence of, of I guess, racial text if you can't hear, he's asking about the racist text I mean, messages. It, there, there is race present in this case. It was from the moment she pulled the trigger. It was when white, her white privilege went to work protecting her, um, uh, taking her away from interrogation, uh, giving her hugs and handshakes when she should have been placed in handcuffs. Uh, the uh, the the protections offered to law enforcement officers, particularly white police officers, when committing something as heinous as murder, puts race squarely in this case. And statistically, we see over and over and over again when we hear about these cases, it is unarmed black men and white police officers more often than not. Not every time, but to ignore race is to allow the situation to continue to perpetuate itself without coming up with any real solutions because we all want to walk around and pretend that we live in a race-neutral society. And it was so prevalent throughout the entire course of the trial when you consider if the roles were reversed, Botham had killed her, would he have gotten to sleep in his bed that night, number one? But if he would have went and deleted text messages, he would have been charged with tampering with evidence. There would have been some t type of conspiracy crime alleged against him. That wasn't even considered with these police officers tampering with evidence. And so until we get to that point in America where people are going to be treated equally by the law enforcement agencies and the prosecuting officers regardless of race, then we will have to continue to have teachable moments like this. And let's make this historic case be a teachable moment for Botham Joan, this great light that God let come into the world. Okay, I'm going to stop it there because it's very, what he just said was very important about the conspiracy, deleting text messages. Now, again, you know, her, her, her partner, her married with children partner that she was having a sexual affair with, and although they try to say, like, you know, it was over, you don't text or sex and send naked pictures back and forth to somebody that you're not in a, a sexual um, relationship with. And she exposed and then she told on herself when she was asked why they deleted those text messages. She going to say, because I was ashamed of the relationship that I was in. But previously, she said and the defense tried to put forth that they weren't in a relationship. That that cop, Rivera, I forget his first name, non-white, I assume, probably one of those Latinos functioning as white. Um, but anyway, he should have been charged because he deleted messages too. He should have been charged with a conspiracy. She called him for help, okay, before calling 911. She called him. So he is exactly right. And this is going to come up later because I'm going to play 
the press conference from police chief Renee Hall, but he he was dead on point to point that out. Why? And Rivera is still on the force. He's still on the force. He was not fired. He was not charged or investigated for a conspiracy to obstruct justice, which is what he did. So I'm going to let him continue. Okay, so what's being asked there that you may not be able to hear because it's real low, uh, the people asking questions don't have mics, but he's asking about if there's going to be an investigation of the other officers after the gag order has been lifted. And I don't know why it, it should be lifted immediately after the trial. So I don't know if it's still in force and effect, but again, we will hear more later about an investigation which you should have no confidence in okay so again the investigation that occurred by the Texas Rangers um you had the black the black lead Texas Ranger try to sit up there and say the woman didn't commit a crime so again before you make it about black people versus white supremacists you need to consider the skin color of all these bad actors in this story He's talking about expanding the well, Steve, investigation. What's been happening, I think people in Dallas and, and all throughout the United States have been asking for transparency. Uh, I think the people, our biggest complaint is that police officers are treated differently. Uh, they're given opportunities to have attorneys, uh, union members on the scene uh, shortly after a shooting. So people don't think there's fairness out there. And the fact that the Dallas Police Department is perhaps now stating that they're going to look into this matter gives us hope. And I think it gives the citizens of Dallas, Dallas County hope that uh, the chief of police, we have full confidence that this chief of police is going to go in and look into the actions uh, of Officer Rivera, uh, of the Dallas Police Association, and, and perhaps say, you know what, changes need to be made. Because there were some things done wrong on that night, I think, that perhaps um, definitely uh, played a role in this investigation. And had they confiscated uh, Amber Geiger's telephone immediately and found out who she was texting, perhaps they could have gotten very critical information. So we are encouraged that they are going to follow up on that. It is, it is so critically important that the chief of police in the city of Dallas follow up on all the officers and all the actors that were involved in this cover-up, uh, that were involved in this wrongdoing. There's a prevailing myth when these things happen, when these tragedies take place, that there was a lone wolf. There was a single actor, an isolated incident that, as they even argued in the closing, will never happen again in the history of this country. It's happening every day. And we have an obligation right to on. go after the systems and institutions that allow it to continue to happen. That means going after the people who are committing crimes in the protection of police officers and, and, and covering it up. And so uh, that is encouraging to hear that the city of Dallas is taking that wake-up call. And we, we look forward to following up those words with actual actions. And finally, I think the narrative needs... Let me say this before I forget. When I present, I'm going to present my own case. 
and I'm calling for, uh, I'm going to indict this police chief that they misplacing this hope in, that they misplacing their faith, that she's going to act in good faith. That That's totally misplaced. Because I will submit to you with evidence that she, and, and they say, where do the bucks stop? At the top. Okay. If you want to know, if you want to know why these officers acted in the manner that they acted and why they took the procedures that they took, she knows that's how they acted. She knows. You think she wasn't getting clued in what was going on and what have you. This is standard operating procedure. So to think that she's going to get to the bottom of it. I don't think so. Now, I understand sometimes we do need to be codified when we're speaking in public. So that could be strategic and saying we got faith in her. We got hope she's going to do the right thing. So I might cut you some slack in that you're trying to be codified and, and strategic there. But I don't have to be codified and strategic on these airways. I have no faith in this woman. I'm going in in, in in later on in the program. I'm going to present to you why you should have no faith. In fact, if I lived in Dallas, I would be calling for her resignation right now. So I don't think there's that much left um, in this press conference. And after I stop the press conference, um, if there's anyone who wants to call in and has a question or a comment on on what has been heard thus far on this broadcast, you can do so by giving us a call at 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Listen to the system instructions on how you can be heard on the broadcast. So let's, let's go ahead and, and let them close out this press conference. To be clear that we are not upset with this case because Amber Geiger was white and Botham John was black. I mean, this case is not about black versus white. This case is about right versus wrong. We would have been, we would have had these same emotions if Amber Geiger was black. Uh, the issue that we have are training issues. These police officers are being trained to use deadly force too fast. And, and that's become, that's the issue. And, and, and unfortunately, until we change that culture, until these Dallas, the Dallas Police Department and police departments all throughout the country stop putting their police officers in bad situations, this is going to continue to happen. All right. Thank, Thank you. you all so much. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. Um, he was correct, right versus wrong, as Mr. Fuller would call it, justice versus uh, injustice. If this had been a black female cop that killed both of them, John, in the same manner that Amber Geiger, our response should have been the same. They should not get any skin color passes today, sir. Okay? So so he was right in that. But in terms of him saying the, these police departments are putting them in bad situations, no. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I would need him to speculate. I mean, excuse me, to clarify that remark, but that, but what he said though about right versus wrong, and if this had been a black cop, we would have had the same emotions and, and the same reactions and and the same fervor in trying to get justice. That was a, not only a correct answer, but it was the codified answer. Okay, and and I think that's something more of us need to learn if you're trying to counter racism, white supremacy. All right, now. Again, all of these 
black cops, man, are bad actors um, in this. Um, but now this is unrelated, but before I get, there was a black cop I came across on social media. Over five, a half a million followers. He's a retired cop. And he said that the case was about the charges were racist, mo- racism motivated. Racist. This is a black cop now or, or ex-black cop. Now he running some kind of LLC uh, for black. Co- I mean, for cops, period or something. I, I didn't do a lot of research into it, but he put out a YouTube video and posted it to Twitter. And I saw it on Twitter where he was like, oh, she's only being charged because of racism racism against white people was what he was getting at. And I looked at his profile on Twitter and here's a black cop with other black people with MAGA hats on y'all with MAGA hats on with MAGA hats on. Okay. So we can't put our faith in nobody's skin color. Melanin does not make you moral. Melanin does not make you a just person. We are individuals who have a set of principles and values that we live by. And so this dude, it was clear to me that he's just another Candace Owens. He's just another one of these black people who tell racist white people what they want to hear in order to enrich themselves, in order to get plates and plates and plates of butter biscuits from the system, from these white racist suspects. Over half a million followers on Twitter, y'all. And he on there defending Geiger, saying her charges were racially motivated. By the way, I have posted all of this, um, my show notes in our private social media community, BTR Community. Um, dot com. So you'll find it on my profile there. And, and since I'm mentioning that, um, for those people who were part of the platform, I know it was down for a while and I had to rebuild it. It's actually a totally new platform and it's actually better than the last platform. Um, you know, you can't start groups and stuff, but some of that stuff may come later. Um, I might add some apps to it and what have you. Um, but I have sent out the invitation, so if you didn't get your invitation, check your email, um, do a search on BTR Community or btrcommunity.com because um, it was your invitation was sent out from the new platform. But all of, I posted all my show notes uh, in our private social media uh, community, so if you want to take a look at them, uh, if you're already a member, go ahead. Um, and, and check out my profile, Scotty, uh, BTR News with Scotty T. Reed, and you'll be able to find them. So I'm going to take a station identification break, and then when I come back, uh, what do I want to jump to? i read some Amber Geiger's racist and violent text messages reveal before I go into this press conference by the Dallas police chief, Miss. You, I don't know why she only using her initial. Maybe her name's Ursula or something. She don't like her first name, so she's going by you, Renee. Um, I ain't forgot her last name already, but I, I'll have it for you. But she has a Renee Hall or something like that. But anyway, uh, she gave a press conference 
And again, I'm not going to get really into the victim response, Botham's little brother, but the system is using that. And I'm going to do a video in it. I've already put out some social media messages because I am a Christian. I'm not ashamed to say I'm a Christian, but don't think that these people's actions represents the beliefs of all Christians or, or how we should act in these situations. And I'll do a separate video uh, podcast on on that, but I'm just giving you forewarning. She's gonna bring that up. All right. So remember to support in the, the independent production of Black radio, of Black podcasts, of Black media. Period. And you can do so by making a tax deductible. I want to stress tax deductible donation to the Black Talk Media Project by going to Black Talk Radio Network. Dot com and we'll be back on the other side no it really isn't because see people are thinking in terms of well they want to brag about being black which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white even though these are the creations of the creator see and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing and people immediately start taking sides it's not about taking sides based on black and white it's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice well that's what you're really aiming for being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice and being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice except you mean and you believe in non-justice and that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are, or who your cousin was, or anything like that, or what so-called nationality you have. Like a lot of people say that they pr- take pride in being an Englishman, or take pride in being a Frenchman, or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice, because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything. And... and waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people you've got to believe in not mistreating people and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most otherwise you don't even have any business breathing hi the black talk media project would like to invite you to become a member of the btr community subscription-based social media platform btr community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of black talk radio network the number one independent black radio network online For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, 
visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Now the Wu Tanga. All right, Scotty Reed, back in on this broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. Um, please subscribe wherever you hear this program or uh, any of the programs uh, associated with Black Talk Radio uh, Network. Um, but again, I'm not really doing live broadcasts. I just had to do a live broadcast on this, so you can call this a special broadcast. Um, but I'm more into doing podcasts now um, for the reasons I stated at the beginning. So Essence.com and one of my favorite uh, writers and political edit- editors, Kirsten West Savali, published an article yesterday uh, related to Amber Geiger's text messages. So anybody talking about, oh, no, race didn't have nothing to do with it. Uh, yes, it is an element of this. It isn't the sole element, um, but it is part of it. And you can't deny that. And it was entered into the public record um, via the trial. Um, So she writes, Amber Geiger, 31, the ex-Dallas police officer found guilty on Tuesday of murdering 26-year-old Botham John after breaking into his apartment, allegedly mistaking it as her own, previously joked in a text message about the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in another text to a friend, admitted that she was a racist. And and you know, I, I tweeted this story at that black cop. I don't even remember where he lives, the one that's retired, who's wearing MAGA hats proudly on social media and got a half a million followers of racist suspects. I tweeted this to him. This woman was talking trash about black cops, okay? And you sitting up here defending her, you have no, you don't have any self-respect, okay? I tell you, man, some people are just committed to cooning, as they say. Um, in a text message exchange dated September the 4th, 2018, two days before she murdered uh, both of John, a friend told Geiger that she should adopt a German Shepherd. Although she may be racist, the dog's owner said. Geiger responded, it's okay. I'm the same. Okay. So apparently her married with children, Latino lover, fellow cop or fellow ex-cop. Oh, well, she's the ex, but anyway, she didn't view him as non-white, and he probably didn't view himself. A uh, Latino just simply means you're a, you speak Spanish or you have a Spanish heritage. It's not a race; it's a language. Okay, and so some of them are descendants of Europeans, the Europeans that conquered most of South America and colonized the indigenous non-white people that live there. So he might be one of those Latinos and not one of the non-white indigenous people that are being put in cages in on, on the southern border of the United States right now by cops, by ICE. And those ICE uh, concentration camp guards come in many sizes, shapes, and colors. Just remember that. Uh, this program, while we don't deny racist elements to 21st century slavery and human trafficking, the difference today as opposed to pre-1865 is we got a lot of non-white people who are participating 
in slavery and profiting from it. So she said that, hey, it don't matter if I get a racist dog, I'm the same. Geiger followed that omission with another one. I hate everything and everyone but y'all. Okay, so anyway, um, in a March 9, 2018 exchange, Martin Rivera, Geiger's married police partner with whom she had an affair, I would submit to you, uh, Kirsten, that it was ongoing. That's why they were sexting. And the man she was sexting minutes before murdering Jean, Rivera said, damn, I was in, at this area with five different black officers. Not racist, but damn. So he's a racist. Geiger responded, not racist, but just have a different way of working in his show. So here she is disparaging black cops. Okay. And you got black cops defending her. You got black cops stroking her hair when she's been found guilty of murdering both of them, John, a black man. And you got this black female bailiff deputy trying to comfort this racist murderer. Okay. I mean, come on, y'all. During a January 15, 2018 text message exchange during the Martin Luther King Jr. parade in Dallas, someone texted Geiger, when does this end, LOL, which means laughing out loud, to which John's killer responded, when MLK is dead. Oh, wait, you know, joking about the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. When discussing the crowd at the parade, Geiger said, just push them or spray your pepper spray in that general area. What's the status of these cops that she was text messaging? Rivera's still on the force. I don't know who this other person is. This other cop is not being identified. Um, but here they are joking about making racist comments while attending to supposed to be providing security at this uh, um, MLK parade. Geiger also had a habit of liking violent Pinterest posts, including one that reads, I wear all black to remind you not to mess with me because I'm already dressed for your funeral. So again, I don't know if Amber Geiger shows up in the a uh, plain view project database of Dallas cops that was posting racist stuff to social media. Um, maybe they, I don't know if she's in there or not. If she's not in there, maybe it's because she was just commenting on these posts. Okay. Um, although with racist stuff. So she commented beneath that post. Yeah. I got me a gun, a shovel and gloves. If I were you back the F up. Geiger saved another image showing a military sniper with text that reads, stay low, go fast, kill first, die last, one shot, one kill, no look, all, no look, all skill. You know what really irks me as a soldier, and not just a soldier, but a veteran of a war, okay, who spent six months in a war zone, is these toy cops out here thinking that they so big and bad and how they try to act like, you know, compare themselves to members of the military. Why you didn't join the military? 
You you know you want to use some of the stuff that that soldiers say or that's related to soldiers, okay? Who are constantly uh, uh, undergoing training for their skill, and you want to man? Give me, I tell you, these people are cowards. They cowards. Under a post of a minion character from Despicable Me with the text. No one ever thanks me for having the patience not to kill them. Geiger commented. People are so ungrateful. She sure didn't have no patience when she encountered Botham Jean in his own apartment when she just opened fire on the guy and kills him. Where was that patience then? Where was that patience to look around and realize before you got to his apartment that you was on the wrong floor? And I, 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 I'm telling you, there was no evidence presented of this. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist just because it wasn't presented. I just can't believe she went into that apartment mistakenly. I believe that maybe Botham Jean was too noisy. His, his apartment was right above hers. We heard the neighbor across the hall say he could hear him singing in the morning singing gospel songs, singing Drake or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if she made noise complaints about him. Somebody made a noise complaint because that one witness testified that that's how he met Botham John was that some of the, the people, um, you know, with the leasing office came up there talking about they got a noise complaint. I wonder if it came from her. I, you know, I'm speculating. I don't know. But it's possible that she planned this murder. So how appropriate for her to get convicted of first-degree murder charges? I think that's it. And, of course, the Geiger's attorneys objected to the prosecution showing jurors the text and online posts arguing that they would unfairly sway the jury while they consider her sentence, but it was appropriate. I'm glad the judge let it in. You know, I didn't have any criticism of of how this judge ran this case. I thought she did a lot of stuff to prevent Amber Geiger possibly being able to get a new trial on, on appeal and what have you. But that hugging on Amber Geiger, that was totally inappropriate. Might've been the first time in history, a judge got up off the bench and went down there and hugged a convicted murderer. But anyway, we got a caller from uh, Eric Cole 646. Uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, give us your name and go ahead with your question or comment. What's doing, Brother Scotty? Uh, are you able to hear me? Yeah, what's up, Tag? Tag, before before you go into your comments, when I thought this was you, I thought I recognized the number. Did I send your invitation to the new community? I, I was glad that you, you had mentioned about that because I, I did not see that. I've had some issues staying up on, on emails uh, of late, you know, just trying to hold down various tasks. So I'm going to check for that, but I have not seen that, no. Okay. I, I don't recall if I sent it to you or not because I just went down a list of current subscribers and added them and of course, you know, you work with me as an intern for Black Talk Media Project. And so, you know, you got free access to it. Um, so I may not, I may have forgotten to send it. But go ahead with your question or comment. 
Well, definitely appreciate that as, as always. And it's great to hear the live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. I, I tried to stay up on the uh, Geiger case as best I could and was peeping out the, the trial, you know, when I could. I think that, you know, it, it just seems to me that it proves to be such a textbook example of why abolitionism needs to occur and, and why it needs to be ramped up, you know, all, all across uh, the U.S. Because, you know, as, as was pointed out, as you pointed out, and as we see, you know, off of the press conference and off of various comments that are made, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily feel any, you know, gains or, or feel that, that justice was served because Amber Geiger, you know, will be on a prison plantation for a few years, however long, you know, uh, of that sentence she may end up uh, serving. I mean, of course, it's, it's preferable that, that she faces consequences, unlike, you know, so many of her slave patroller uh, counterparts, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's clearly not justice. And if, if anything, it just further highlights how imbalanced you know the the scales, so to speak, are that it's even even seen as a victory for an Amber Geiger to get ten years on a prison plantation, whatever that ends up meaning for her, and and it just totally distorts our expectations as to as to you know a just outcome behind you know human beings being uh, just snuffed out uh, out here, and and that 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 uh, putting her on a prison plantation is going to somehow do that you know it just it just skews all of the logics and it should be a textbook case that abolitionism is what's needed not not reforms and uh you know none of these at the edges uh you know means of, of addressing what's a, a completely systemic problem including the fact that how can you give the investigation of this case to a group like the texas rangers when when we look at their their history and, and you know what was their role in, in you know uh helping to maintain and further uh white supremacism uh you know in this country and otherwise as, as an institution yeah texas rangers uh and of course you know we got the black texas ranger who was showcased as the lead investigator in I'm not sure if the jury heard his testimony, if the judge let it in, but I saw where he was, you know, uh, uh, being questioned while on the stand, and he was saying she didn't do nothing wrong. So, um, you know, in terms of these cops, all that matters to them is blue lives, and they've told us that. Exactly, and I don't know if you've been seeing these these, uh, bumper stickers and whatnot, but They've been around for a few years, and I just I feel as though I, I'm encountering them, you know, more and more in in recent months, maybe the past several months. These these stickers uh, depicting a, a U.S. banner with with blue, uh, you know, uh, embedded yeah. in there, supposedly to supposedly to signify this this thin blue line or what have you. Uh, I don't know if you you've been seeing you know many of those, but noticed an uptick in that, and that just you know, it's just a further articulation, further proof of, of their just gang-like mentality and, and how they operate, you know, um, around questions of colors, around questions of, you know, uniformity and, 
everyone, you know, towing the line, et cetera. And we've seen that on, on clear display throughout the Geiger case, you know, with, with most all of the testimony that we, we've seen from slave patrollers. Right. No, I surprisingly, considering where I live in the South in a predominantly white county, um, surprisingly, I haven't seen any bumper stickers like that. Um, and I'm sure I would have noticed, but um, I have been seeing them online. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just one more act of of terror within the space um, among many, you know, just just their their whole mode of showing those around them, whether they support them or or not, that that they're the ones that that, you know, are, so to speak, in control or have the authority or what have you, regardless of whether it's so-called under the color of law or not. You know, and and they mm-hmm. they make that very clear, you know, in in how they set up their hierarchy, just how they how they interact with people generally. So this you know this just seems like a, a clear as day, a clear as day example of that 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 there's no there's no real means of of effective justice around what occurs behind slave patrollers outside of an abolitionist context. It just it just doesn't make sense because then we end up, you know, okay, so it would have of course been problematic and disappointing had she gotten off behind this, but now, you know, since she didn't, it just further confuses the matter publicly, in in my view. It just makes it seem like to, okay, perhaps to some this is a just outcome. Maybe things are progressing. Maybe, you know, uh we're we're moving in the right direction. Um, or it just has people calling for, you know, longer sentences uh, inside prison plantations, which is, doesn't look like justice to my eyes either. I say you know, 25 years, 50 years. I don't see that as justice. I, I, um, I would call it a mixed bag. And the reason I would call it a mixed bag, because like you mentioned, you had all the slave patrollers and associated um associated positions um, like you had the expert witness who, who who got on there and talked about he's been to over 100 police shootings and all this and that and he tried to say that to explain away the downward anger angle of the bullet you see Botham Jean was 6 foot 1 uh, way taller than her she testified she was aiming as trains uh, center mass which is the only training she seemed to recall is how to kill a human being. Um, but then saying when the coroner shows that, hey, this was going at a downward angle, angle indicating that he was either sitting down or going down to his knees when he was shot. And then you got this so-called expert with this pseudoscience and and the prosecutor did a good job in exposing this as pseudoscience. And someone said to me on social media, why are they burning their house of cars down for our Amber Geiger? Because, and I said, you're right. Because the defense, I mean, the witness retorted that, hey, you calling what I'm doing pseudoscience and I'm not an expert because I read a bunch of magazine, a, a, a bunch of articles in a magazine that talks about uh, intentional blindness or whatever he called it. I can't recall. But, you know, he said, well, some of the people at the prosecutor office went to the same 
<laughs> you know, seminars and what have you. So the person was saying to me, you know, I really got that. Why are they burning down the whole house of cards for Amber Geiger? You, the reason I think the prosecution, and I'm speculating, and I don't know what's in that man's or the prosecutor's minds or hearts or whatever, but I think they feared a rebellion on the level they had never seen before. That's what I, if she had been found innocent, then, and especially if it looked like the prosecution threw the case, I'm telling you, man, Dallas might still be burning right now. That's, you know, I'm speculating. I, I can't say what people might have done, but people are tired of this, man. They're tired of it. But he tried to say the downward angle was 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 because both and John was ducking. Now, that ain't even made sense. If she's aiming, shoot center mass when she pulls the trigger and he and she's aiming at his chest, which is where she hit him, and he's ducking down, then the bullet's still not going to be at a downward angle. It's just going to be in a higher spot than when she took aim at him. I mean, that's common sense. But it put on display the pseudoscience, the junk science, the lies and how they try to explain, how he tried to explain away what was clearly evidence that this man might have been sitting down on his knees when she shot him. So I'm calling it a mixed bag. The jury didn't fall for that. That's a win. That they weren't blinded by the science, quote, in air quotes. You know what I'm saying? And again, they also had the option to reduce the murder charges to something like manslaughter or 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 negligent homicide, which would have gotten her out in a couple of years or maybe uh, even a suspended sentence. I don't know, you know. But so I'll call it a mixed bag tag. I hope you know where I'm coming from. No, absolutely. And I I wouldn't disagree at all. I, I do see it as another, you know, if, if anything can be gained positively, you know, off the strength of, of tragic death, you know, compounded an, another tragic death at the hands of the slave patroller, then then it's these kinds of advancements with respect to the consciousness, you know, it's right. that, that more, more, more of us are, are getting just that much more aware of, of what's going on. So I'm in full agreement there. I just mean systemically as far as, you know, how how it's being discussed, how it is that right, we're right. approaching these issues, you know, it, the, the, the reformist rhetoric that we hear, you know, nine times out of ten when, when these issues are being discussed, it's just, it's too much at the edges. It, it just further confuses I, I see what you're saying. I get what you're saying. You're talking about the actors in the institution, whereas opposed, I'm talking about the public, meaning the jury. No, exactly, exactly. And I, and and so, as as a textbook case, it seems to me that this is just another opportunity for that level of consciousness to to raise up that much more about just how how completely backward the system is in its entirety predicated on slavery, the fact that you can just enter someone's home and because, you know, you're, that's your day job, you can, you can just murder someone. Clearly it's, it's, that's, that's what it's been deemed to be mm-hmm. and, and still get, you know, a relatively light sentence as far as, you know, murder goes. 
and and that be seen, you know, as any as any kind of justice. I mean, it should it ideally that's that's part of what will come out of this. And and I I tend to agree with you about the the prosecution. I tend to agree with you about the judge. There there were a lot of there were a lot of aspects of this case that that were were promising in some ways as far as just how they were able to how they were able to completely uh, push back against you know the all of the lies that were being presented but you mm-hmm. know when it, when it's said and done it I, ideally this can be pointed toward as you know exhibit whatever number whatever letter that abolitionism as a focus as a strategy as an aim around uh, these these slave patrollers and and their impunity is 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 the obvious mm-hmm. strategy is the obvious approach mm-hmm. yeah well I'm, I'm like I stated I'm glad that I, well, not that I'm glad, but it was the right thing to do to find her guilty of first-degree murder. Um, but the sentencing, I would like to know the rationale behind that. Now, I do understand, even if we're not talking about cops, sentencing, well, if you got a previous record, comes into play. You know, um, if you got a, a, a criminal record, so to speak, um, regardless if they was violent crimes or nonviolent so-called crimes or what have you, that still plays a role in sentencing. Those are things that they're going to consider. So since she had never been arrested or whatnot, um, then maybe that played a role in it. But, but the la- the the lies that she told, which she even contradicted and contradicted herself in the testimony, the racist text messages and all of that, I would have, if I'd have been on that jury, I'd have gave the prosecution the 28 years they was looking for. So I, I, I'm disappointed in the jury in that because I know people who've gotten 10 years or more for nonviolent crimes. So you know, um, I, I would really like to know what their thinking was on that. Did you have anything else, Tag, as I get ready to uh, move on? That that was about it. I appreciate the discussion, and uh, I would just like to alert heads to the fact that uh, one of these attempted wrongful convictions that, you know, we've discussed uh, a few times on the network is continuing. There's There's another court date coming up. Uh, in New York, in Manhattan, uh, this this coming Monday. So, if anyone wants to support around that or get any further information about that, you can email the NYC branch of IWOC at iwoc.nyc@riseup.net, mm-hmm. and that's an important case. It's it's one of many attempted wrongful convictions uh, that that go on constantly all across the U.S. And uh, also, there are some heads on the inside that have been in touch with who, who would like to participate uh, on, on some level or another with regard to New Abolitionist Radio. So happy to follow up with you on that. Yeah, um, Tag, let me say this. Just because I'm not doing a regular live broadcast doesn't mean I won't do one, especially if there is something that's coming up that we need to focus attention on. And if you want to continue to, you know, set those interviews up and put the people in contact with me, by all means do so. Just because I'm not doing regular live broadcasts and more into podcasting now doesn't mean I, I, you know, can't do one. So just let me know. Absolutely. 
All right, Tag, um, if you want to chime back in later on some of these other things I'm about to bring up, uh, just go ahead and unmute yourself, and I'll, I'll see you. Now, before I jump to this press conference uh, from this black police chief, um, who I think is, is just as responsible as anyone uh, for the outcome of the interaction between Amber Geiger and uh, Botham John. I look, I've been in the military. I've taken leadership training. I've been in leadership positions. I know what it is to be a leader. And I know the responsibility that comes with being a, re, a leader. And this woman shows very poor leadership. And I'm going to get into why. Amber, they shouldn't be surprised. I, I'm willing to bet you that they already knew about Amber's racist post and what have you. And so let's get into the reason why I have taken that position. This comes to you from dmagazine.com. It was published on June the 3rd, 2019. See the concerning things some Dallas PD officers have posted on Facebook. The Plain View Project takes us into the social media activity of our city's protectors, and I would put that in quotes, uh, air quotes. This weekend, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed News and Injustice Watch published the Plain View Project, a deep, user-friendly exploration into the Facebook activity of police officers in eight United States cities. That list included Dallas, where the team poured over the accounts of 751 current Dallas Police Department officers. Here, as in the other seven cities, they discovered a powerful subculture within American law enforcement, one that appears to disparage and dehumanize racial ethnic and religious minorities and celebrate the use of unlawful violence and discrimination. So that culture is dictated by the leaders at, t at the top. Okay? The result from the researchers digging is a massive database of archived Facebook activity over 18 months. That's a year and six months. Excuse me. <coughs> tied to officers' names, badge numbers, and salaries. In Dallas, an officer named Booker Smith posted a link to a homicide at a Dollar General in Dallas and commented, just another savage that needs to be exterminated. He wrote, execute all involved on a different post about a homicide with multiple suspects and often referred to criminals as animals in his post. I would put alleged criminals. After BuzzFeed contacted uh, the Dallas Police Department, a spokesperson said the activity had been passed up the ladder for review. Again, keep in mind who the Dallas Police Chief is. The Plainview Project targeted posts that could undermine public trust in policing. Let me stop for a minute. So look, no, I, 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 I digress. Um, when was Botham John killed? Was it, I know it was in 2018. Was it in August of 2018 um, that he was killed? 
I believe it was. I believe it was in August of 2018. What I'm trying to ascertain here is whether or not this got exposed, when this got exposed. Okay, no, it was after he was killed. Okay, anyway. But the Dallas Police Department was well aware that their officers were posting, making these kind of posts. The Plain View Project targeted posts that could undermine public trust in policing, and it found reason to include activity from 104 current Dallas police officers, about 14% of the 751 officers researchers found on Facebook. There are also posts from 69 retired officers. I reached out to DPD and will update here if and when I hear back. Now, I distinctly recall when my fellow veteran uh, brother felt it was necessary to take out some slave catchers. He took out five of them, um, you know, uh, because of these murders and what have you. But it came out then that one of those cops that was killed had white supremacist tattoos. And I remember uh, Police Chief Brown at the time sort of but not really taking some responsibility for uh, the uh, uh, cesspool that existed at the Dallas Police Department, I distinctly remember that. That's That's been a while, but I got a pretty good memory. Um, and, and I remember that. And then he, he not long after, retired. Okay? Um, but anyway, and she's been the police chief. Uh, the one they got now has been the police chief ever since. In other words, Smith is hardly the only activity Smith's is on is hardly the only activity that raises eyebrows. A quick scroll through the Dallas activity reveals one meme in which a woman is getting sprayed with pepper spray at Reese participation trophies now in liquid form. Remember, this might have been the same one that Amber Geiger was t- telling, uh, texting and saying at the MLK parade, hey, why don't you just uh, spray some pepper spray in the general area? And another announcing that statistics show that criminals commit less crime after they've been shot. This is the culture that exists at the police department and was in existence prior to Amber Geiger murdering Botham John. There are racial overtone undertones to a number of posts. Officers celebrated stories about the beatings of people of color caught in the act of committing crimes. One officer posted a story with the headline, White Cop Kidnapped and Murdered by Black Men, Media Silent. There's plenty more to check out, and they put a link to um, the Plainview Project's database, uh, which I I have looked at. Okay, now, let me get to this other story. Remember, I told, I, I stated to you from this article, 104 active duty cops were implicated in these racist posts that was posted on Facebook. Dallas police chief, 25 officers under investigation for social media posts. So out of 109, 
uh, officers, 104 officers identified by these attorneys who put together this project, only 25 of them are under investigation. This comes to you from DallasNews.com. This was published on, what's the date on this article? July the 5th, 2019. The announcement comes about a month after researchers with the Plainview Project published a database of years of public Facebook posts from eight departments that the database's creators said could undermine public trust and confidence in police. Excuse me. Okay, 109 cops, 25 under investigation, but it gets worse. Four Dallas police officers have been placed on administrative leave and more than 20 others are under internal investigation for their Facebook post police announced Friday. So let, let me get this straight. 104 cops posting racist messages on Facebook, because they only looked at Facebook, but we know that they also posted on Pinterest um, because it was part of the evidence presented in Amber Geiger's murder trial that she posted. She commenting on these racist posts. Okay, so they, this, but this project only looked at Facebook. I bet you they also on these message boards where you don't have to ha- uh, use your identity on these four chan or eight chan racist. I, I, man, I tell you, but hey, I bet you the police department ain't ain't setting up no kind of surveillance of their own officers like they on there patrolling and surveilling us, the public, on social media. Apparently, they ain't been monitoring their own officers on there, and I'm not going to buy that they didn't know. All right, but only four of them have been on paid administrative leave, not unpaid. So you got 109 racists and suspected racists and and violent sociopaths and you only investigate 25 of them and then you only put four of them. Why hasn't the entire 109 been placed on administrative leave while this was under an investigation. Why haven't they been taken off the streets? Because I believe it was in Philadelphia, which was also one of the ones that um, showed up, that was one of the cities or police departments that was looked at, investigated by these reporters. They pulled off all them cops off the street. There was a mass suspension, whatever you want to call it. Not so in Dallas. Only four have been taken off the street. While the other 20 are just simply under internal investigation. And you know what they say about the police investigating themselves. Officers received letters notifying them of the investigations Friday, about a month after researchers with the Plainview Project published a database of years of public posts from eight police departments that databases creators said could undermine public trust and confidence in police. Well, you know, I guess you can say that, 
But there is a large percentage of the public that don't trust them at all and never had any confidence in them. Um, the project, which prompted a swift response from some departments, collected posts from scores of active and retired Dallas officers. And of the more than 5,000 posts archived in the database, over 300 were from active Dallas officers. The posts included Islamic phobic comments, racial stereotypes, and jokes about police brutality. In a written statement, Dallas Police Chief U. Renee Hall said investigators' preliminary findings showed that 25 officers showed or posted material that was determined to be a potential violation of the department's general orders. What What about the other, what, 70... 78, 79 officers. What you only only twenty five? Only oh y'all y'all preliminary findings only show twenty five. That must be the only ones y'all have looked at thus far. The department's social media policy states that officers are free to express themselves as private citizens on social media sites as long as it doesn't impair working relationships of the department, impede the performance of their duties, impair discipline and harmony among co-workers, or negatively affect the public perception of the department. Nothing about as long as it's not racist, long as it's not promoting white supremacy, as long as it's not uh, promoting religious bigotry. No, they they use bland, generalized, vague language. Negatively affect the public perception of the department. Well, y'all already don't have a good public perception. So, and this is just worsening it because you're only investigating twenty five out of 104 and then out of the 104 only four only four have been suspended while you can just what Colin Kaepernick said paid vacation um, let me see what else Hall says the department takes these matters seriously and we want to ensure the community that we will not tolerate racism bigotry or hatred of any kind in our organization yeah well you say that but your actions are showing something different Renee the Dallas Police Department prides itself on maintaining the highest standards of ethics and integrity while providing service to the community without prejudice Hall said in a statement yeah I think um This case has shown that to be a farce. Okay, shown that. I wonder if they got any rules against fraternization. Here you got a married with children cop who is having a sexual affair with his partner. That that sounds really professional, uh, Police Chief Hall. And post and sending racist text messages. The department did not name the four officers who were placed on administrative leave. Bob Gorski, an attorney for the Dallas Police Association, said early Friday that he did not have information on individual officers or post under review. Well, he's lying because if you don't think that these slave catchers didn't immediately contact their union rep, well, then you're just naive. Now, Gorski goes on to say 
he hopes the D- Dallas Police Department will focus less on being the thought police and more on the real police needs of the city. So here you got a police union representative for the Dallas Police Association saying, hey, we don't need no thought police. He sound like one of them right wing MAGA hat wearing racist, don't he? Stop trying to police our speech. You know, sound like them conservatives that think they have a First Amendment speech right to post racist stuff on social media and the social media companies aren't supposed to suspend them, aren't supposed to ban them, and supposed to just throw their own terms of service out the window. Mind you, though, that there have been plenty of, uh, not plenty, but quite a few racist secret groups on social media, especially Facebook, that have been exposed. Now, just because they're secret to the public, they're not secret to the administrators. They're not secret to the Facebook staff. And you and they've been harboring these people. But I I digress. I digress. So now let me play this clip of the press conference from police chief Renee. I keep forgetting her last name, but um, here she is. Let me pull up this video, giving a press conference. And of course, she's going to highlight, please, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Good evening. Stop, do, stop doing these public displays of forgiveness. Ain't nothing in the Bible. I'm going to do a video separate because, you know, it needs to be done. But while it does say you're supposed to forgive your trespassers so that you can be forgiven your trespasses, so meaning that if I want to be forgiven of my sins when I ask for forgiveness, I have to forgive others' sins. But, you know, uh, it don't say you're supposed to put on these public displays of forgiveness. In fact, it speaks, the Bible speaks out against these public displays. Don't be standing on the corner to be seen by people, to be seen by men, and oh, look at what a good Christian I am. I'm so pious, I'm so devout, and oh, I'm going to hug this woman and all up in the courtroom and all that. And no, you. the Bible said don't be doing stuff to be seen by other people to do things in secret and your father will reward you openly. I don't want, I'm going to save that, but I only bring that up because here is Renee Hall who's going to use that as propaganda to cover up and make it look like Amber Geiger was just one bad actor and all this. But again, you already got 104 Officers identified as racist in this database or violent sociopaths. You already got 25 or 24 of them under investigation and you got four of them suspended. So this is why as Christians, I'm not telling you not to follow the commandment to forgive people, but you don't have, you know, that doesn't mean that I got to go hug on them kiss on them and all this and that. I can just, in my heart, I don't even have to say nothing. 
just in my heart. I'm not going to hate this person. I'm not going to care. I know I've done wrong. I need to be forgiven. So I'm going to forgive this person. That don't mean I got to tell the world that and put on these public displays. And especially when it's causing harm, hurt, and anguish to other people. You causing people to mock Christians and mock Christianity and to drive them away. Man, don't let me go down that road. Let me just go to this Facebook. I mean, excuse me. This Dallas head slave catcher, Renee Hall, reacting after uh, um, one of her racist subordinates being sentenced to murder. I want to thank each and every one of you for being here today. This has been a difficult year for everyone involved. In this tragic event, our city and two families' lives have been forever impacted. What we can agree upon as a whole is that Dallas today is different than it was yesterday and definitely different than it was a year ago. We were so moved today by Botham's brother in his asking of Amber Geiger a hug. And we were equally moved when the judge Judge Kemp gifted her with a Bible. That's the spirit in which I, and I think we, want to move forward. With a spirit of forgiveness, faith, and trust that the changes that need to be addressed in this city are addressed, and we make them together. There was sworn testimony that revealed things during this trial that gave me concern. What you saw and heard was disheartening. And I can only imagine the community's perception of who we are as a Dallas Police Department. And if we're truly honest with one another, what law enforcement is or who law enforcement is across this country. What I can say is that the testimony that came out in this trial is not reflective of the men and women of the Dallas Police Department. The men and women of the Dallas Police Department show up every day with integrity, professionalism, and dedication to protecting the residents of this community. And it doesn't reflect where I want to take this organization along with my command staff. I stand before you today fully committed to making the changes that need to be made. I'm committed to leading a city that will have the trust of the community. I acknowledge that there are things that we need to change. There are areas of concern that we need to address. And I pledge that we will make those changes. Changing the perception of law enforcement, it begins with us. We must double our efforts to continue to build trust. We must ensure that our partnerships are stronger than they ever have been before. I would like to thank those community groups who have worked alongside of us for the past years, before and during the trial. We cannot do this alone. We must come together. We must come together not only to heal, but to work hand in hand so that Dallas becomes the model of a safe city that the rest of the world
can follow. And with that, I will take any questions that you have. You mentioned the word, you mentioned the word change. Can you explain at all what type of change you'd like to see just based off what you observe in this trial? Well, I'd like to say first, we must all agree that there were some things that came out during the trial. And if those things are true, and how we are going to begin to find that out is by launching an internal affairs investigation into uh, those things that came out. And that's how we want to make sure that we address those things, that if those things are true, that we make the necessary policy changes and or procedural changes in order to ensure that this community truly trusts our ability to police this community. Thank you, because she is being so vague. And then one other thing I want to point out is if these things are true. What, you don't believe the prosecutors? Y'all work so hand in hand with each other, you know. Um, the prosecution always believe in cops, you know, on, on the re on, on standard operating procedure is no matter what, you know, we're supposed to believe the cops. So you telling me y'all don't um, uh, view those facts that was laid out, that evidence? How can she sit up there and say, if these things are true? It was laid out by the top cop, top cops in the city with your prosecutors. Well, I think we all can agree uh, that there was testimony as to allegations of uh, tampering with cameras, in-car video cameras. Uh, there was a failure to render aid during uh, a use of force incident, a shooting, uh, and multiple other things that came out in that trial. And so we're not backing away from those things, but we first must uh, find out what, if any of those things have merit, and then move forward. As a department, we are always assessing ourselves. We've made multiple changes over the past two years. Um, we uh, have, I think I've made about 69 policy changes and because we're working on being CALEA certified, we are always ad addressing uh, policies and procedures to make sure that we're in line with the rest of the country. So uh, we're committed to that huh. and we're committed to making any other changes that's necessary. Can you elaborate on special treatment? Elaborate on that question? Well, with Officer, or I mean Sergeant Mike Mata coming to the scene, uh, then asking another sergeant to turn off the video, uh, the in-camera video, because of those actions, do you see yourself changing policy within the well, I can say that those things came out during the trial. Uh, and as you know, the Dallas Police Department didn't do the investigation. We did the initial scene response. So as I said before, we're committed to if there were any improprieties, uh, we're committed to addressing those and making the necessary change. Okay, let, let me stop it there. Not only that, but she was allowed to get in her car it was apparent she didn't have any blood in her hand, so this stuff about the failure to render CPR, who's she talking about? We already know when Amber's been convicted of murder, so um, um, I don't know what she's talking about there. Okay, but 
the camera being turned off as the reporter brought up, um, her not being put in handcuffs immediately, okay, um, deleting, te- having access to her phone and deleting them, like we heard in the press conference from the family attorneys. Why wasn't the phone immediately confiscated? See who she's texting and, and what was going on there, collecting evidence and what have you. And then again, you know, like she mentioned, we didn't investigate this. But you had the Texas Rangers investigated. These are the facts that the Texas Rangers uncovered and was prevented, presented by the prosecution. So what are you saying? You need another investigation to investigate the investigator? I don't see what I'm saying. That's why she in a position that she's in. I, she, she, man, you know. Uh, public speaking. She sounds like a politician. She sounds like she got, you know, a, a, a political career ahead of her, saying a whole lot without really saying nothing. Not answering direct questions. Were you not paying attention to this trial of one of your former subordinates? Come on now. Once the trial concluded, which it just concluded today, uh, all of the uh, things that were heard and brought out during the trial will be turned over to the Internal Affairs Division, and all of those things will be under investigation. So again, you're not going to just run with the Texas Rangers investigation that uncovered what these cops did on the scene? Including that, yes, sir. Can you elaborate on that question? What is the status with the department? Seeing what happened with the trial, did any repercussions stem from that? So, Officer Rivera is still a member of the Dallas Police Department, and his allegations, along with all of the others, will be investigated by Internal Affairs. Coming out of the trial, what are you telling your officers? Are there any changes that you want them to make immediately, or anything that you want them to be cognizant of? What I tell my officers today is what I tell them each and every day. Um, We are the Dallas Police Department. We are one of the best in the country. And what I want the community to know is the Dallas Police Department is not reflective of what you've heard over the past week and a half. Dallas Police Department is Officer Brian Knopf, who provides hundreds of pairs of of shoes for underprivileged youth. It's Officer Lamar Glass, who works in Southeast, who provides food during the holidays for underprivileged families. And it is Officer Lee and it is Officer Nair who, on the night of Botham John's shooting death, rendered aid continuously until he took his last breath. That's the Dallas Police Department, and I ask them to continue to be who they are. Okay, well, Chief, is there any security at this point in time for the police department, for your officers, and for the community? Should there be any retributions or demonstrations? Well, right now we don't have any intelligence surrounding that. Uh, we have a police department that is uh, always prepared. Uh, they go out each and every day uh, with the proper training and, and 
trained to deal with situations at hand. So uh, right now, we don't have any intelligence relative to that, but um, they are as prepared today as they are any other day. Okay, very important question there, although I suspect that to be a racist question. Uh, what about any protest and all that? And she's like, we don't have any surveillance of that. So any of you groups that's been working, you so-called activist groups that's been working with the Dallas Police Department that she talked about over the years, they're spying. They're spying. They're surveilling you. That's what that means. We don't have any intelligence. I mean, that's the type of language they use in the military, right? Okay, so, um, you know, that should tell you something. That should tell you something. We don't have any intelligence about citizens exercising their First Amendment rights to protest this, that, or the other. And we will respond when whatever. Thank you so much. I'll take one question. Your hand was in the back several times. So we're always uh, focusing on being prepared. Um, as you know, right now we have uh, a state fair that brings hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, so we're focused on preparedness for that. And we're always uh, focusing on the possibility of a, uh, a protest. Um, as you know, as a police department, uh, we are very accommodating to peaceful protests, and we're prepared for those, uh, and also prepared if there is any um, differences in that protest. So, you're welcome. All right, that's the end of it. Now, something very important that if I had been in that room and, and afforded the opportunity to ask her a question, when she started talking about, well, who we are is this cop that gave these poor children shoes or any of the other examples, well, I'd have been like, okay, that's well and fine, but what's the status of the investigation of 104 of your officers who have shown up in a database of 5,000 posts, racist, violent posts, from your officers, from 104 of your officers, and can you elaborate on why only 24 of them or 25 of them are under investigation when the database identified 104 current officers, not to mention the 69 retired officers making these racist, vile, violent posts about citizens and, 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 and perpetrators or suspects and what have you. And why is it only four of them are on administrative leave or AKA paid vacation? Now, they cut the press conference short. So I don't know. And when I say they, I'm talking about CBS because that's who aired this. Uh, CBS DFW. Um, so it's a CBS affiliate. And they cut it short. It lasted more than 10 minutes, I'm sure. And there were addition, additional questions. So those questions could have been asked in Maybe that's the reason why they cut it off. I don't know. I can only speculate. 
But off of what I did here, I did not hear relevant questions to these racist, violent, vile posts in this database of 104 officers making 5,000 or so of these type of posts. I didn't hear, hear any questions like that. I think that's relevant. Do y'all think that's relevant? I think that's relevant. You want to showcase about, oh, we give poor people free shoes or whatnot. Well, what, what are you doing about these racist cops on your force? What are you doing about these cops that's talking to, that's celebrating, um, what do they call it, uh, um, uh, extrajudicial state violence against people? violating civil rights and what have you. Now, I'm not going to ask a stupid question and why the U.S. Department of Justice hasn't opened up an investigation, and that would be a stupid question because of who's in office right now and who he appointed at the DOJ that rolled back um, the current police department decrees. Well, that happened before Barr got in there. Uh, Jeff Sessions was in there, and he rolled those back, but they haven't been reinstated. Okay? So I'm not going to ask that stupid question about where is the Department of Justice in terms of these racist posts talking about violating the constitutional civil rights of citizens, talking about beating them up and shooting them and, and, and executing them and all of that. So those were the questions I would have asked of Police Chief Hall. What have you done? What are these so-called policy 69 changes in, in procedure? Do you not accept the Texas Rangers investigation and the evidence that turned up of the favorable treatment? I mean, there was even video evidence of this. Why did Amber Geiger, who her and these other cops was sending each other racist text messages and what have you. Why is Rivera not suspended? Okay. So I have no faith and confidence that this woman is going to get to the bottom of anything. What she's going to do is minimize any damage to these slave catchers any damage to their quote-unquote public image. And I will also sum submit to you, and if you're on Twitter, I found a photo of this police chief dressed like she's the female version of Shaft at a shooting range posing with a handgun like she's Shaft or somebody, like she Foxy Brown or something. What what kind of message does that send to your officers? Look at me, I'm 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 this bad black woman. I'm a police chief, and if you mess with me, I'll bust a cap in you. Pictures speak louder than a thousand words. They say, although some uh, spoken word artists out there would disagree with that. But that photo I posted to social media that I found of her striking a pose with her handgun. It speaks a lot about who she is. So, not going to belabor the points that I have made, but I have no confidence in this person. 
She has shown a failure of leadership. She has failed to root out this cesspool of racist, violent cops. She is, the police department is a reflection of her leadership. Okay? These things don't happen in a vacuum. And with that said, I'm going to bring a close to this broadcast. And this is why we need to move to abolish, not reform. We need to abolish 21st century slavery and human trafficking in this country. We don't need cops. We don't need slave catchers. What we need is peace officers, people who come to mediate and keep the peace. Okay? We don't need prison plantations in these inhumane conditions. I know people rape. I know people murder. I know people rob and violate other human beings. But just throwing them in a prison plantation is not helping. We don't need prison plantations. We need rehabilitation centers that are fit for human beings where people can get whatever issues they need addressing address whether that's mental health issues whether that's education issues whatever issues they're having we need to equip people to be able to come back into society and not recommit or reoffend but the current state of this society is set up so that they reoffend. That's what the whole felony slave status is about in denying them housing, in allowing legal discrimination in employment, housing, voting rights. So the only truthful thing I heard her say is that they are like most of the police departments around the nation. And what is that? Slave catchers. Move to abolish 21st century slavery. Support the production of independent media. Make a tax-deductible donation today to the Black Talk Media Project so we can continue to distribute our truth to the public. Peace and blessings to all. Be safe. Land of free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom.